All right, well, the title of the message was something like Outside the Camp of Our Comfort. And I just had to have a little bit of fun with the whole theme of camping for a little bit. Um, I can't say, well, let's just ask the congregation. How many of you are campers? You love to camp. Oh, we have quite a few campers. Okay, let me rephrase that. How many of you like to tent? We still have some hardcore tenters. Okay, so we have a few campers in our body here. I like the idea of camping. <sighs> I do. Um, actually, in when I started working here at the church, I take a week off in August of work, and I thought it would be a nice thing to just make this tradition of just having one week in the summer before it gets crazy to do something as a family. Well, there's several problems here because, one, we're not, you know, finances, we're probably not going to take off on a plane somewhere. So that kind of limits you. So then you're like, okay, we're going to drive somewhere. And then, you know, resorts are pretty spendy. So the first year I'm like, honey, let's go camping. And I said, it'll be so much fun. We'll just, you know, like organize, you know, the back of my car and this little like campsite and Bennett will have fun and we'll sing Kumbaya and it'll just be great. And, um, <laughs> and Chris, you know, he, yep. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, I'm like, Oh, it'd be super fun. So we went out and we got a, we got a one room, uh, cabin, but I say that term loosely because it wasn't like a running water cabin. It's like one of those bunk bed ones with the campfire. Still, it was pretty cool. But until I realized that my ideals of camping, like this picturesque scrapbook page of what camping was going to be like, and what it actually was were two different things. Because there were three things that really came in the way of that. One, I'm allergic to campfire smoke, <laughs> which is a problem when you're camping with a campfire. Two, I have kind of an irrational fear of porta potties. <laughs> And I'm not talking the, you know, top and freshly cleaned Envirupump ones. I'm talking about the ones that are in 1940s hole in the ground with a thousand flies. Those do not mix well with me. And three, I really hate animals. (laughs) I, I do not like animals. Like, they obviously didn't get the memo that we have dominion and authority over them because they just invade your space. And so (laughs) it was about 1 a.m., and Chris and I are, like, sleeping on this hard bunk bed, and Bennett's one at the time, and a little pack-and-play, which we borrowed from the wieners, and we're sitting in there like, are you sleeping? No. Are you? No. And I said, Chris, I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And he's like, we'll go. (laughs) And I'm just like, (sighs) Clearly, he doesn't understand. So I get out my phone like any girl would and put on the flashlight app. I'm just like in the dark grass, praying in tongues. If you don't know what that means, listen to Mike's message last week. And I walk in there like, oh, dear Jesus, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. And then I go into the outhouse where the hole in in the ground from the 1940s. I'm supposed to go to the bathroom in there. And you know what? There's flies, animals, porta potties, dark. And for all those reasons, camping for me is just not, it doesn't mix well. And so my idea of camping and what actually takes place when we do camp don't match up. But 
uh, this theme of camping is prevalent in my message this morning, and uh, you know who did a lot of camping in the Bible? Were the Israelites. (laughs) Pastor Bob described that earlier in adult Sunday school, but to give you a little background of where we're picking up in scripture is the Israelites were under oppression and were slaves to the Egyptians. Well, God told Moses to take the Israelites to the promised land. And so Moses took his people on a trek to the promised land in which God called them to. Well, what happened was a couple-week trip turned into a period of 40 years, essentially on a trek where they would go for a while, set up camp, go for a while, set up camp. And it really was like camp because they did set up tents. And they, they would set up, I, I have a picture up here um, coming up here, but what they would set up is they would set up in tribes, um, yeah, there we go, tribes, and they would set up, the 12 tribes of Israel would set up around the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the place of worship right there in the middle, that big rectangle thing. That was the place of worship where they would go. They would sacrifice their animals to atone for their sins. And I got thinking about this, and uh, 40 years of really being on the move. I just can't imagine uh, those women first part, um, going on this type of travel. But they set it up where it was somewhat comfortable for them. I mean, comfortable is kind of a loose term, but they set it up where they would pitch their tents. There was worship. There was music. We know that the Levites were called to worship and sing. So there was music. The women would cook, care for each other. I imagine the kids would play amongst the camps and with one another. And it was somewhat comfortable. And so what they'd like to do is stay within that camp, stay within the surrounding tribes in the tabernacle. But we know, according to scripture, I'm going to look at this term today, outside the camp. What it meant to go outside the camp. And I'm going to read a few things of what that meant. I know for certain after reading, I would not want to go outside the camp. And here's why. Outside the camp was considered unclean. We know according to Leviticus 13.46 that a person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean. As long as he has that infection, he will remain unclean. He must live alone, and he must live outside the camp. We know that diseases such as leprosy would be a situation where one would need to go outside the camp until they were considered ceremonially clean again by the priest. And so we have these group of people that were cast outside the camp. We know according to Leviticus 10, 4, and 5, that there were dead bodies. If someone died, they made sure to get the body 
clear outside of the camp, right? So um, if you remember Aaron's sons, they author, um, they basically broke God's commands and his way of doing the ceremonial rituals, and they were actually killed for having unauthorized fire. And their bodies were then taken outside the camp. Um, rotting carcasses in Again, and these, before Christ came for us, the whole process of covering our sin, our depravity, was done through the blood of animals. And so whether it be a sin offering, uh, they would take an animal, kill it, sprinkle its blood for the atonement, but then the rest of the animal that God did call them to use, they would pitch outside the camp. And so again, we know there was probably dead, rotting carcasses, um, we know that according to Leviticus 8, 16 through 17. Um, I'm not going to read that one, but we know that that happened as well. Another thing that happened outside this comfortable camp was anyone who cursed the name of the Lord was brought outside the camp and stoned to death. Uh, God does not take sin lightly. Bob said that in Sunday school this morning as well. And anyone who cursed the name of Jesus, well, not Jesus, the Lord, <laughs> I say Jesus so naturally, um, anyone who cursed the Lord would be taken outside the camp and stoned. And lastly, and there's more, but I'm just covering a few of the areas, uh, fecal matter. Hey, it was like a porta potty out there. Uh, you had to take, dig a hole, and cover your doing outside the camp. You know, you can imagine, um, when I say camping, uh, this is like over 2 million people we're talking about in this huge camp, like a city of tents. You know, it's not like you're, uh, you'd have like the Fricky tribe over there would set up, and you'd have the Larsons over there, you know, and you'd have the Johnsons over there. And, I mean, it was huge. It was a huge amount of people. And so you can imagine that you wouldn't want to go to the bathroom. I mean, where do you go to the bathroom? Well, outside the camp <laughs> to keep your neighbors happy, right? And so outside the camp was probably a very disgusting, um, unclean, impure, corrupt, a place of punishment. It was not a place that you would want to go. I would want to be staying close to the tabernacle and the music myself. So why I went there to the Old Testament uh, was we see this term outside the camp used in Hebrews. And I don't think you can fully grasp, you know, at first when I just read Hebrews without the context of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you don't really fully grasp why did he use those terms outside the camp. Well, we're going to turn and just read what I'm talking about. This term outside the camp is used again in Hebrews. So, we were in the Old Testament, now we're going way towards the back of our Bibles to Hebrews. And if you turn there with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 14 is really the scripture I'm going to uh, focus on here. And before we read it, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is targeting a group of Jewish people living in Rome, who have converted to Christianity. 
So these Jewish people have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, are trying to follow Christ, but after years and years of tradition, years and years of Jewish culture and tradition, their families would have been Jewish, their ancestors were Jewish, and they didn't recognize Jesus Christ. So these people have turned from the Jewish way of life to Christianity. And so the writer of Hebrews that's why we see a lot of the writing in Hebrews referring to what they would have known when they're talking about, you know, the tabernacle and the high priests and the most holy of place. Like, these people that are receiving this message are like, yeah, they knew all about it because they knew their scriptures. They knew that Old Testament where they talked about the camp and outside of the camp. So, uh, to fully grasp this, the writer is targeting these people who are being persecuted for their new faith and the actual coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to read um, verse 10 through 14 here. It says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. And so the people receiving this message what did, I, I found myself asking, what did that mean to them then when the writer is saying, go to him, bearing his disgrace outside the camp? And um, one thing that could have resonated with them was a call to indeed leave their Jewish customs, rituals, religion behind, and fully embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, listen, you might be persecuted. You might be disgraced. We know according to scripture that some of the Christians that converted, their property was confiscated. They were publicly insulted. We know some of them endured jail jail time for sharing the message of Jesus Christ in this highly Jewish culture. If you think about it, a lot of this is actually happening today, only in a little different way in the Middle East. In that culture, if you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, turn from their Muslim traditions, a lot of time they're ostracized and kicked out of their family completely. Well, some of this was happening in the same way from the Jewish traditions to the Christian. Um, and so the call to go outside the camp for this, these people was to fully embrace what Christ had to offer. And what Christ had to offer for these people is no, no longer a works mentality, no longer a temporary covering of their sins, but they could fully embrace that Jesus, that man that they had heard about, that the Jews killed and hung on the cross and then rose again later, that man was actually Christ in himself. 
and that they put their trust in that. And the writer here in Hebrews is saying, fully embrace that. Share it. Own it and leave all those Jewish traditions behind because we no longer are under the old covenant, but we are under this new covenant of grace. And um, I just, I was trying to wrap my, my head around this. It'd be like, you know, sometimes we can be hard on the Israelites in the Old Testament, the way they sinned and rebelled. Sometimes you think, well, yeah, embrace Christ. It's so much easier than all of that law. But if you're raised and valued and from generation to generation taught a specific set of rules and the way in which your family even functions is ingrained in you. And I just can't imagine be like telling Bennett, wash your hands before you eat. Wash your hands before you eat. We're going to wash our hands before we eat, Bennett. For, you know, 12 years, maybe he washes his hands before he eats supper. Then all of a sudden at the age 12, I just say, you know what, Bennett? You never have to wash your hands again. They're clean. They're totally clean. Forget about that dirt you see on there. Just go ahead and dig in. You don't have to wash them. That's what I thought about as I was, I was dwelling on these Jewish people that converted to Christianity. Like how ingrained that would have been in them. And how they had to full-heartedly just accept this new radical gospel of Jesus and the fact that he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins that they no longer had to do any religious um, rituals in order to be clean, but they could just accept him and receive his grace and his forgiveness and follow him. It would have been just radical, as radical as saying, Bennett, just forget the 12 years of parenting I just did and do something completely different. It would have been hard. So we come to a place where that's what this message would have meant for the context of the people receiving it during the time. But what does Hebrews 11 through 14 mean to us today to go outside the camp? Um, I want to read, I want to read this portion of scripture from the message, and I don't use the Message Bible as a primary context, but once in a while, after reading my NIV and my King James, Kathy, <laughs> I will go to the message just to read it because sometimes I just like the way it is put. And so I have a slide up here from the message, and I just, I'm going to read it here. It says, so let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our, taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out the sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. I love the way it was phrased there. Um, and I loved what it said when it says, this insider world is not our home. And for one way, one way the scripture could challenge us, just one interpretation of the scripture for us today, 
I'm going to focus on, and that is going outside of our camp. And what is our camp? Our camp is our comfortable religion. You know, a lot of us charismatic people say, well, we don't have religious ways. We left all that behind. We're free. And I say, amen. But then sometimes, I think after a while, we just get really Christianized. We get really the insider privilege. And what I mean by that is we can um, go to Sunday mornings and then go to life groups and then go to Wednesday nights and then have Bible studies and send our kids to Christian schools if we can. And then they have a Christian man eventually and then they get married and their families are Christians and we're all Christians and we're just happy Christian families. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things going to church. Actually, that's a that's very highly favored by your Lord to come to church. But what happens is after a while, we can go 15 years without ever leading someone to Jesus Christ. Because what happens over time is we end up not even knowing anyone to lead to Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't die bearing the disgrace outside the camp, outside the city gate. I love this picture we have of Jesus going outside of Jerusalem, the holy city. He went outside the walls of Jerusalem, took on the sin of humanity, was mocked, spit upon, kicked, nailed to a cross, the most humiliating way to die outside the holy city of Jerusalem. And he's saying, church, we got to go outside our comfort, our comfortable religious upbringings. And I should just say Casey, because don't be condemned. Casey, you got to go outside your comfortable world, your comfortable religious ways to reach the lost, to reach the sinners who I died for outside the city gate of Jerusalem. Those are the people I died for. He didn't come for the well. He came for the sick, right? He died for the sinners. And so if we become this place where we're looking around and we just, we, we've never even shared the love of Jesus Christ with anyone. I guess my heart, and I know I just get so worked up about this, and the youth group can attest to this, but I just get so worked up about go Share your faith. God did not give you the love and redemption and acceptance through as adopted children of Christ to just keep it in. He wants you to share it with your world around you. And what happens is there's so many reasons why we can get so afraid to do that. And we, thank goodness, the ways we are persecuted in America can be like fired from jobs, um, mocked or made fun of, things like that. Um, people around the world right now are giving their lives for Jesus Christ. There are martyrs, and the, the martyrs are skyrocketing. I don't know if you follow the voice of the martyrs. I check it out once in a while to see what's going on. There are people dying for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
And I, I just think, you know what? If there are people that are dying for Jesus, I'm just going to kind of suck it up <laughs> and take the eye roll maybe sometimes or take the rejection that sometimes happens when you try to put yourself out there because it's just so little compared to the eternity. It's just so little compared to the big picture, the eternal perspective of that soul being saved. And what motivates what motivates Christians and what motivates me is just directly what Jesus commanded. I'm going to go to two scriptures. Uh, Mark 16, 15. Now in March, Mark, Mark, Mark 16, 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But we know according to the scripture that it applies to us because this would be impossible for those few disciples to complete. It says, Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So here Jesus is saying, preach the good news to every single person, to all creation. And it's still happening until Jesus Christ comes again. We are his disciples. We are his people. You know, we are his people on earth until he comes again. We'll still continue to be his people. But we are sharing the light. We are sharing the message within us that the whole world needs to know. Um, In Matthew 24 In Matthew 24, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, in Matthew, he's speaking of end times events, and he's saying that, you know what, these things won't happen until the whole world has heard the good news, and then the end will come. Now, I'm not going to go as far as saying that, you know what, if you don't share your faith, Jesus isn't coming again. No, 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 no. (laughs) Don't put yourself on that high level of importance. But what is he saying? Share your faith. Share your faith, people. Because the whole world needs to know it. And in our in every single day, in our daily situations, in our work environments, in our school environments, um, what I'm always, what I'm always contemplate on is the number one thing that people are longing for, the number one thing people that are so hungry for, is just the love of Jesus. They don't know it. They don't, couldn't articulate that. But at the heart of every issue, at the heart of every um, hurting soul from a miscarriage or hurting marriage or loneliness or depression or addiction or you name it at the heart of all of that is a person longing to feel the love of their savior to feel the love of their god that sets them free and god has the power to absolutely transform breakthrough any of those issues in anyone's life. And if we are carrying this 
this message in us, but we don't share it. What a shame. What a shame. It'd be like a doctor. It'd be like you going to the doctor and be like, listen, I got this and this and this and this, and he just looks at you and nods, and then he walks out the door. You'd be like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? That's what, that's what we're doing when we're not sharing the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. If you just nod, when you have the solution, when you have Jesus in you that can literally set people free to the abundant life that victory so desires everyone to experience and you don't share it, what a disservice, what a, what a shame. And so it's really not, you know, when I think about sharing your faith, you try to get the pressure off of yourself and focus so much on the other person and what that other person needs so badly in their life, and that's Jesus. If you can say, you know what, whatever I say, goodness, I'll probably stumble over my words or do this or this or this. Who cares? If you can focus on the message, the hope, the redemption, share your testimony, share what Christ has done in you. You can say, you listen, I'm not even perfect. I don't have my act all together. I'm still struggling with anger. But you know what? I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm loved. I know I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. I'm seated in heavenly places. And that's what you are too. Oh, it's so powerful. It's just a simple gospel. It's so simple gospel. And a lot of people have never heard truth spoken over their lives. I know um, she's a believer. Last year, this, is, this whole area of evangelism just gets me so excited. And actually, since working at the church, I feel a little bit suffocated because I'm involved in so much church stuff. I mean, it's good church stuff. I'm not complaining, but I'm just, I was used to being out in the world, you know, and I was, went to public schools, public college, uh, taught at a public school. Okay, so I was used to being around people, and so um, I, last year I was just going, oh, I just, this is too churchy for me, you know, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, in a good way, but I was like, I got to get out of here, and so I just went over, um, called up the superintendent at Tracy, and asked if I could do a Bible study with some of the teachers after school, and he said, sure, you know, and so I, I went over there to do a Bible study after school with some of the teachers, and it was just kind of my, I told Mike, I'm like, I don't even know if the Lord's calling me to do this, but this is my outlet to get out of these walls, and he was fine with it. So um, I'd go over there, and we'd do this. And one lady asked, and at the end of the time, I'd ask, anyone have anything I p- could pray for? And um, we had, you know, Lutheran, Catholic, what a, you know, a mix of ladies, and they'd, they'd tell me what I could pray for. And this one, she's a friend, and she is a saved friend of mine, but um, she was really struggling. She was carrying a child at the time she was pregnant. She was just f- afraid. She was just fearful. She was fearful she wasn't eating the right thing. She was fearful that the baby could be delivered early, that maybe it's going to get this or that. And I placed my hand on her, and I just said, listen. I prayed, and I said, your child was knitted together in your womb. God has a name. Your child's appointed. It's going to be healthy. God's numbered the days of this child's life. And I just started speaking truth over her. And her, I mean, she just starts bawling. A lot of people, even if they do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, have never even 
been spoken over truth. And that truth just transformed her. And they don't even know what's happening. And that's what we each of you have. It's not something I have. Like you guys, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have that ability to lay your hand on someone at work when they're just having a downright crummy day and say, listen, Jesus Christ died for that. Can I pray for you? Most people will accept prayer. That's one way. You know, you can go, I didn't have time. Like this could be like four weeks of sermons of different ways to evangelize. But one way is prayer. Most people will accept your prayer, whatever they believe. If you just go, oh, you know, could I pray for you? Most people will say, most, I've been turned down, (laughs) but most people will say, sure. Place your hand on them, start speaking the truth of Jesus Christ, and that that something in them is going to wake up. And you know, if they have a little light bulb moment, you can say, you know what? What just awakened inside of you? That's the Savior, and he's longing for a relationship with you. I remember I went to that place with... um, a few months ago, we went to a Walmart with the youth group kids, and there I was praying for this. <laughs> I can't look at you, Brooke. Um, I, we went to a Walmart with, and with some of the youth group kids, and there was this person with, uh, I went over to pray for her, and I prayed for her. She had a clear, she had a knee brace on. So I prayed for the healing first, you know, for her knee. And all of a sudden I said, look, and I think her name was Jade. I said, look, Jade. I was like, the God that will heal your knee knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he just loves you. He deeply loves you. A little, little tears well up in her eyes. I'm like, see? People don't know their identity. They don't know that they're loved by Jesus. And it's like we hold that inside of us. And some of us are so stinking scared to just let that come out of us. You take ten porta potties over just saying, Jesus loves you. Do it. Do it. And then tell me about it. <laughs> and then you can pray for me about my fear about porta potties. <sighs> but this is the kind of hope. And by the way, about that, you know, I always feel a little bit convicted because in step six of the seven steps of freedom, there's this th- place about fears. <laughs> well, I was going through it with this lady, and she had a fear of heights. <laughs> I said, go to that place of heights and just stand on the word and say, I'm no longer a slave to heights. I'm thinking in my head, do I got to do that with a porta potty? <laughs> Maybe next time I go camping, I'll do that in the porta potty. But um, <laughs> listen, I would rather tell anyone about the love of Jesus Christ than go to the bathroom in a hole in the ground. <laughs> but um, that's just me. But I know you guys. That some of them, some of you have convinced yourself that you that you can't. Some of you is just I can't do that, Casey. There's just no way I can do what you're calling me to do. You can. It can be just so simple. It can be so simple, so little simple. You can call it sneaky simple. <laughs> Sometimes I just like try to sneak in Jesus a little bit at school, be like, "Well, do you want me to pray for you?" <laughs> you know, it's just like just be on guard. Just be ready for those little tiny opportunities to share the hope of Jesus in you. And your world will slowly be transformed. Mindy texted me this morning. She said, I was reading the Gospels, and I really impressed upon my heart how there were 
a small group of disciples, but then there was a ripple effect because they shared and they shared and then they shared. And now there was this multitude of followers in Jesus Christ. And that is still our call until Jesus Christ calls me home. That is our call. A lot of our born-again Christians will say, I don't know my purpose. What's my call, my unique mission? And it's good to think about how God has crafted you uniquely to do kingdom things. But listen, there is one call that every single one in this room has, and that is to advance the kingdom of God. That is all of our call. And so I hope that we can embrace this and share this. And the very last slide I had was, um, and you know, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to go through these things. Can you just leave the last slide up as people leave? Um, One thing while you're sharing your faith, don't ask, in, in, in America, don't ask, do you believe in God? Because that word believe, Kathy, I called Arnie when I was in college because I did this salvation call at the campus ministry at DSU. And John 3.16 is used so often, right? But you know what happens with that word believe? It's an intellectual thing for a lot of people. Seventy-some percent of Americans will say they believe in God. And so if you can ask them in a way like, do you believe in spiritual things? How are your sins forgiven? How are you going to go to heaven? If you ask some more probing questions, you will get to the heart of whether that person really knows Jesus or if they just intellectually believe. And Arnie said on the phone, he went to his King James and he explained that in depth to me. Casey, this is why, and here's, here's what you can say. And I went back to the uh, campus and I shared this message off of John 3.16 and how it's believeth. And it takes a step and it takes obedience and it's giving your life to Jesus Christ, and there were people that came for the first time and gave their life to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit quickened in them that it was just an intellectual belief that they had and not a heart decision. And one of my favorite things to say is in Romans 10, I didn't have this in my notes, I'm almost done. In Romans 10, (laughs) it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you confess and you are saved. And if you point out to someone that maybe they've just vocally said they believe in God, but never heartfelt and trusted their life to the saving power of Jesus Christ, there might be a light bulb. Okay, let's pray. (laughs) Dear God, (sighs) Lord, I just pray that you would empower us to share the love. Lord, I pray that we would get outside of our comfortable camps. Lord, I pray that we would not just mm, bubble wrap ourselves until you come back again, Lord, but that you would quicken in us people to share your gospel with quicken in us souls that need you quicken in us people that need to be set free from the po- by the, your power of your blood god people that are walking around with chains and they just need to know their identity lord i pray that you would awaken us to the world around us this week and we would look for little little opportunities to speak truth and love and hope <sighs> 
that would just truly set people free. So I pray, Lord, that if I said anything that wasn't of you, Lord, that it would fall away. And Lord, you don't give us a spirit of condemnation, Lord, but rather encouragement. So I pray that we're encouraged, that we're just encouraged, Lord, to share your love in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.